coming to you from San Jose Mercury News and the Bay Area News Group. It's the TK Show. And now here's your host, Tim Kawakami. Everybody, it's Tim Kawakami here on Thursday, May 21st, back in the studio. I don't know how many more times I'm going to be back in the studio during this Warriors run, but I, if I get the chance, I'm going to get back in the studio to get some good quality sound here with a good friend of mine. Uh, these, these episodes aren't easy to book during the playoffs, but I'm very glad to get someone who's got a lot of expertise on a lot of things. Uh, someone that uh, very interesting man. They've got ESPN tennis analyst, author, mad, man about town, legend Brad Gilbert. Brad, how are you today? Good to have you on the show. Good morning, Tim. How are you, buddy? Uh, uh, you could maybe add in there. The wife says I Twitter way too much. You, know, <laughs> you so. do that too. Yeah, she says I got, she wants to put me on timeout occasionally. <laughs> okay, uh, I want you to keep going. It's all good stuff. Uh, Brad, are you gonna? I saw you at the game, uh, game one the other day. Are you gonna get out to game two for the Warriors Rockets, or you've got some other plans? I think I, I would love to be going to game two tonight. And I am crossing the pond, heading to Paris. That's a good one. Unfortunately, I called Air France, and it's a Delta co-chair flight. And I was thinking, maybe we're going to get internet, and I can live stream it because my flight leaves at 4. And they gave me the bad news, no internet. So I won't know what happens in Game 2 until I get to Paris. Um, and then, I, then all the rest of the games are at six o'clock, so that's like three in the morning Paris time. So a couple times I'll have to get up early and just try to figure out how I can get it. Get a little coffee, some baguettes. It'll be all right. I think for, I think Paris stays open pretty late, so it might not might not be bad for you. Yeah, you know, I'm actually fairly confident uh, about this series okay. and matchup. Um, I was there in 1976, mm-hmm. the last time they were in the the conference final. You only had to win one. Round then I think the playoffs were like eight maybe in the playoffs mm-hmm. and I remember the first series I believe was like a best of three it was like a, a ridiculously short series so the playoffs are completely different yeah. they lost to Phoenix that game yep. but I was also there the year before in 75 when they beat uh, Washington at the Cow Palace because the Coliseum was booked yep. Yep. for the ice capades I believe or ice dancing of some sort so I mean I go way you back go. with the GS Warriors and this is just I tell you, this has been an absolute pleasure to see this thing been put together. What did you think about Game 1, just the feeling, the energy, the emotion? I, I thought it was the loudest Oracle has been since 2007, we believe. Obviously, that, that one was Richter scale. But what did you think about Game 1? You know what? I, I, I went to, so that was the third game that I went to in the playoffs. I saw him, you know, win the first game against Memphis and then play, you know, a bit of a struggle in game two when they, you know, lost at home to Memphis. And early on, you had the feeling, you know, Howard, you know, got hurt. He went out. They were up 16. You had this feeling like, wow, you know, they've owned this team this year, but yet now this is a different game. And I tell you, Livingston, when he came in and brought his energy and played the best game that he played all season. I mean, that dramatically, you know, changed the game. And But yet it was still, you know, a tie game with about five and a half minutes yep. to go. So I, I thought that was a very tight, well-coached game. And then a lot of ebbs and flows. And then all of a sudden you look up, we're up 11, two minutes to go. I'm thinking this thing is over. And the next thing you know, it was two-point game. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was it was a nail-biter, But but I feel like... In playoffs, you learn a lot more when you 
play a team over and you can kind of look at their nuances and figure out their strengths and weaknesses. And I, and I feel like that's the strength of the Warriors team. I, I expect them to be a lot better tonight. Can you compare it all to like a, a tennis series where, I mean, obviously you're only playing a guy once in a tournament, but when you play maybe the same guy several times in a row, is there the same kind of feeling out process? And, and maybe we use, that's why you see a dominance where one great player just seems to have the other great player's number over a series of tournaments. Well, there's no doubt that, like, as a coach, you start thinking about matchups and you start thinking about scenarios and how you're going to apply strength to weaknesses. And I, and I think, let's say, let's say for the Warriors, for example, winning 67 games, it's a lot harder to, to kind of prepare for them in a one-off situation or maybe you're playing yeah. them two games in three nights. But in a seven-game series, the way you prepare for it is a lot different than just a one-off game. And that's why I think great coaches, you know, in the NBA do better in series than, than you do in one-off games or, you know, in a matchup during the season because your attention to detail and finding the matchups that you're looking for. Um, and the same thing in tennis that, you you might play a guy in a smaller tournament, but the matchup in a major mm. might be a lot different later in rounds, and and you're scouting them and looking at the situation, you know, a lot clearer and different. When you were with guys, you know, you were Agassi and you were with Murray, you were with a lot of the greats. What, what kind of stuff did you talk specifics with them, or were you big picture uh, when you're looking at say a a big match coming up? You know what I always think about. Well, first of all, every player is different, and I never compare any player to any other player that I've coached, and I don't have, you know, like a system that, like my way or the highway. I like to think of every single person that I coach, male or female. You know, you start the gig, you know, I call it with a blank canvas, and we're, we're trying to make them become the best player that they possibly can to fulfill their dreams. And all the scenarios to me are different, and I never look at big picture. I think about, let's say if it's a quarters or semis, it's a big match. We don't talk about it's a big match mm-hmm. of any kind. We don't talk about got to win a slam before it happens. You think about X's and O's, and you think about that that particular matchup, what you need to do to be successful in this one-on-one matchup. And that's it. You keep it simple. And everybody wants to, to make results and get better. But... Talking about it and you know only puts a little more undue pressure on you, but I think a lot more about it is in the preparation, the practice, and thinking about the strategy and how you're going to execute your plan. Do you look at Kerr, you know, as a coach? I mean, how do you evaluate as a guy who's who's broken down big tennis matches? How how do you evaluate the way Kerr handles this team? He, you know, for me, I, I, Tim, I really believe that he has learned a lot as a player and obviously as a broadcaster as a front office guy for a short stint yep. in phoenix yep. but i think that he's had the great opportunity to learn from a lot of great people and then blend those ideas into what he sees with his team and i i think that he has a quiet confidence he has a very good demeanor he has a smart staff they hired some good veteran assistants but the thing that I observed when I came and 
watch them at practice when they had the shoot around when they were playing the Hawks. Remember that was a big game. Oh yeah, oh yeah. You know, um, and we had lost to the Hawks. I, I was quite taken by how relaxed he was and how much he was letting Gentry run practice, hmm. and then he made a stamp at the very end. But very even keel, very good demeanor. And then when everybody was leaving, he got into the little free throw competition mm-hmm. with Curry, which sure. kind of really elevated Curry. Um, so I felt like he has a good demeanor. He's not a yeller and a screamer. He tries to make his points when needs to be. And I, I think that he's a good mix of all of the players that um that he's played with and the coaches that he's learned from. Wait a minute, you're in there on a shoot around? That's a who's your connection there, Brad? I didn't hear about this. Uh, I, I they invited me to watch the shoot around. <laughs> you know, and oh, uh, and I interviewed Kerr and it was um I I was very impressed mm-hmm. with seeing the the players how they responded and just you know sometimes you can look at something and see it it looks too friendly it had a great mix to me of a very good group of guys and they have the right person to push the buttons at this moment for this team you know i you know we both know you're you're very close to chris mullen have been for years what are your thoughts though you know they they've moved on from Mullen. You know it's it's a different field, different look to this organization. Do you are you comfortable with the way they've handled kind of moving on from Raul and Cohan and and that kind of ugly era there? I, I got to be honest with you, Tim. I, I um you know I love Mully. Uh, I mean he's the godfather of my my, my uh, middle child. Mm-hmm. Um, I've known him his entire time that he's been out here, and it was really tough for me what happened. Um, and how how it went down and and i i gotta think there was at least probably the only time in my warrior career there was a good two possible I, maybe it was three years i didn't go back to mm-hmm. a game you know i watched from far but i didn't go back until they had the warriors ceremony to retire his jersey and that was yep. probably a good three years or whatever yep. you know i was disappointed but to be honest with you now that if i look back on it you know how sometimes you Relook at something and be clear about your thought. I, I shouldn't have been mad, you, you know, whatsoever, um, other than at Nelson. Mm-hmm. He's the one to me that stabbed Chris, and it wasn't this new ownership, it was Nelly. So, and I, I think that helped me move on completely. And I think that the best thing that the new owner did. When he came in, he observed things for, what, four months? He told us that he hoped in three to five years he'd win a championship. Mm-hmm. And I was like, God, that's an incredible plan, but we haven't seen nothing here forever. But the first thing that he did was get rid of Nelly yep. after that season. And then bringing in Jerry West, those were the two biggest moves for me since he's taken over, was getting rid of Nelson and, and hiring Jerry West. I think that got rid of, you know, could never won with Nelly, zero chance of that. Bringing in West, who has great pedigree and has a great eye, I think that changed the entire complexion of the franchise. You know, I, I just to make a quick point here, and I do think you talk about the Mullen night where Joe Lacob famously got booed off this off the floor, but he, he, he stood up after that. He didn't disappear. He didn't go hiding. You know, he said, this is who I am, got booed. And we're going to get through this. Uh, would you agree with, with that? You know, and and to, to what you're saying there about Lacob, you know, I'm sure he, you know, he got booed 
you know, because Monte was wildly loved, but mm-hmm. that was directly from hiring West. It was like, okay, you can't have two six two, you know, point guards. One, you know, and he was the one immediately got to get rid of Monte, you know. So he got the blunt of that for no reason. Yeah, and and you know, he, Jerry West was the one to say, okay, we got we got to make this. It wasn't that, bad. It wasn't a bad was, trade either, by the way. It worked out no, okay. It was a great trade. <laughs> And that that was disappointing of the fans because that was Molly's night. Yeah. That wasn't about, you know, anger about a trade. Yeah. I, I imagine you have some thoughts on the Raiders. I don't know. I'm just wildly guessing at that. Um, maybe Reggie McKenzie is something. What are your thoughts about the way this franchise is being run recently? Well, I, as you know, Tim, I am a diehard, lifelong Raiders mm-hmm. fan. I grew up about block and a half from Al Davis mm-hmm. um, and obviously I was very tight with the, with the elbows Dr. Alba who was mm-hmm. very sure. tight with with um, Mr. Davis um, what, what's most disappointing about what's happened you know I mean we've had 13 straight losing seasons and you know um team were no factor uh, let's just take the recent history that since Mark has taken over um, I think what's been most disappointing, he's done two things in like over three years. One, he hired a guy that was not qualified whatsoever to become a general manager and or there was no process to him to becoming that. One guy told him, hire him. Great. So we hire Reggie McKenzie, who's been a disaster. And then the other thing is, oh, he made one decision about, okay, we, bet, we better not uh, sign this guy Saffle. Mm-hmm. Other than that, that's all the guy's done in three years. Well, I think he, 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 no fired Den- he fired Dennis Allen. I think that's one other thing he okay. did. Yeah. It, it, to me, there's no plan put in place. Nobody's looking over Reggie's shoulder. Now this whole thing with the stadium, that he wants a stadium, great, but he doesn't have the money for the stadium. He wants Alameda County or Oakland to give him the land, give him $400 million. What's he giving back for, for what he wants? Where is a team president? Where is somebody that's, that, you know, the team president that's making business decisions or helping us facilitate? Silicon Valley has more money, you know, than just about anywhere in the world. But how is he going to go down there and solicit money if he's not giving something back? What is his plan other than somebody to give him land and or to build him a stadium? Yeah, yeah it's a tough thing, especially in the state of California. Uh, you need power. you got power players who can't get stadiums done, and, and Mark has not shown that he's a power player. There's no question about that. No question well, about that. Well, there's money, and there's there's companies, and st- there, there's people that are going to do it. And he doesn't. I can understand why he doesn't want to be in the 49ers stadium, mm-hmm. but that, that that's definitely a better solution than than what's happening at the Coliseum. The reason why he's so attracted by Carson, or if Stan Kroenke does something that somehow that like. Okay, L.A. was a good vibe for for the Raiders when his dad, who was about the same age as Mark, when yep. they bolted, you know, in the early '80s, you know, and if somebody gets it done now, Carmen Policy, who's got a great track record, if he gets something done, he's ready to jump on board without doing something because he doesn't want to lose control of the team, and nobody up here is going to let him do something without giving up control of the team. You know, I, I don't want to keep you too long. I know you got that flight to catch, but I want to ask you one tennis question heading into the French. You got the big three or, you know, maybe big four, but I'll consider them the big three, Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic. When it's all said and done, Brad, who, who, who's going to end up as the greatest of them? 
Well, I mean, there's absolutely no doubt, Tim, in my mind, this will be considered the, you know, you know, I, I guess, and only time will tell, but this will be the, probably the only time in my lifetime that you'll see in the men's. We got two guys that have won in the teams in majors, and, and Fed 17 and Nadal 14. Djokovic has won eight, and I think that we're entering the... the the most amazing stretch uh, for Djokovic. I mean, it's almost like talking about the perfect game. There's a possibility this guy could run the table this year, and mm -hmm. I think the next two years he's going to do some dominant things. So he could be looking at something like 13 to 15 majors. And uh, you've barely ever in the history of the game had two guys playing at the same time, overlapping, that have won majors in the in the teens. You potentially could have three guys overlapping at the same entire time, all in in teens and majors. It's it's absolutely outrageous how how talented this group is, um, and Djokovic. As, as much as he's had to be the third wheel for a long time, it's incredible how he's emerged. And potentially, you know, his, his life can go, you know, a few more, you know, I, he maybe has a chance to eclipse them all. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it's, it's been amazing to see these guys come on so quickly. And who would have thought after Sampras, after Agassi, you know, that, boom, that, that tennis would have hit such a high level so quickly with these guys it's, it's been absolutely phenomenal to see and they're just absolutely amazing athletes and it's lasted so long i mean if you really look i mean you know mcenroe had stopped winning what at 26 27 and, and federer is what 31 30 I, I don't even know how old he is no yeah. fed is going to be the the most amazing thing tim is is that fed is going to be 34 wow and this is his 17th year mm -hmm. serena is going to be 34 and she's still completely at the top of her yeah. game. And she won her first major at 17. Amazing. So to see the longevity, and that's part, that's that's the biggest change that I've seen from my tennis career to my coaching to watching all of sports, is that it's become a full-time business 24-7, and athletes are figuring out how to, to take care of themselves longer and and get better. If you read that piece on Tom Brady, like what SI that you know he's he's planning to be playing in his forties yeah. and what he's doing, and I think that you're seeing a lot more athletes feel like when they turn the corner at thirty, it doesn't have to be over. If you train smarter and and take care of yourself and you're dedicated to your craft, there's always the possibility of continuing to get better. Okay, I got to ask you this one because I ask everybody, and I think you're gonna have a good answer. Uh, what's your favorite restaurant, Brad? Favorite restaurant? Um, uh, what type of food? Anyone, anyone you want to name? You, 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 you pick the kind. Uh, I mean, I got a handful. I mean, yeah. like, I mean, well, I love sushi. Yeah. Um, I could go to the house anytime. You ever been there? No. In, off of Broadway, yeah. it's a, a unbelievable Asian fusion. Yeah. Um, love that. I mean, I, I, I'm partial to Asian fusion. Okay. I like. Uh, sushi a lot. A place in Oakland called Uzen is off the charts. Okay. One of the great sushi places. Uh, anytime you go to a Nobu, Matahisa, mm -hmm. the original one in LA. Yeah. 
uh, could go to Stresa in Paris any day of the week. You see, this is, this is what I want, yeah, these, these are the recommendations I want to hear right here. The Paris recommendations. Stresa, I okay. could go there seven days a week, twenty four seven. I mean, one of the greatest Italian restaurants in all of the world. Um, that's one of my great passions besides tennis and bartending and sports. I like going to good restaurants, mm. and I got like in my little book, I always write down and. Everywhere I go that I've gone somewhere good, you know, you write it down and boom, it, it, when you come back to the city, it's almost like it, it, it puts like, ah, there's a friend back. Yep. When you were in Memphis the other day, you had to go to Corky's. <laughs> I did great, great barbecue yeah. joint. Yeah, I should have. I should. That was a miss on me. But uh, uh, and, I, and that's a way when you go back to places yep. that it makes traveling that much more special when you do like places or you're willing to branch out. And I always tell players that don't get a prisoner to room service or doing the same thing. Get out, feel the city, and and and, and taste the cuisine. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, and that's one great part about traveling. There's some tough parts about traveling, but that's one part. You, you look forward to finding new places or you go to the old familiar fun places and uh i know you know i I am that that makes chris fowler a little bit crazy Mm -hmm. because he's a foodie like nobody Mm -hmm. and he gets annoyed with me that like immediately in paris when we come back that i'll I'll go to my like i call my like my first my second it's like okay come on we gotta branch (laughs) out it's like you know we will but it's like i always gotta go back to like my go-to places he's like let's take a break on it and find you know and it's like I am a creature of habit, and mm. like I feel like I do go back to places that treat me good, or I like my, my unless I didn't have a you know a good experience, you know. Okay, that maybe, but yeah, he gets annoyed with me about that. Well, tweet us out some pictures from the restaurants in Paris. That's what I want to see. That I want to see yeah, some. Yeah, and go Warriors, Warriors right. in five, Cleveland in in five two, um, and I, I will be at game two. I got a plan for a Sunday. Okay. I'll be back for game two. I think it's June, June 7. 7th. June 7, absolutely. I will be there and just with a smile on my face, buddy. I, I, I know you will, and I'll be looking for you then, Beach. Thanks. I appreciate it very much for being on the show, and have a great time in Paris. Take care, buddy. All right. Thank you. I thank Brad Gilbert for this episode, and we will tape another one very soon. This will be posted up pretty soon. Uh, Well, you don't care because you won't hear it unless it's posted, but uh, that's episode one for today, and thank you, everybody, for listening.